Well, we're in a series that we're wrapping up today called Breathe Free. We've looked at each week a passage of Scripture where the Lord has said to us that we could live and we could breathe freely. And boy, does that really resonate with us in the times that we're living in right now, especially when it comes to the COVID virus. We have had people this week from our congregation who have contracted the COVID virus and are having to isolate themselves. Some are in the hospital, some are at home, and we're all very conscious of breathing. We're all very conscious of wearing our mask, and we're conscious of washing and taking extra time to be sure our hands are clean so we protect one another. I look back on this past year because it was one year ago that we went to, we were just forced right into live streaming. We're not able to meet in the sanctuary. And what an odd Easter it was to meet in here without anyone in the building except for those who were helping us with tech and the staff as we gathered to worship. I remember with fondness gathering outside during the summertime under the tents and under the shade trees and learning some brand new challenges, especially when the Michigan wind blows and it blows the stands over, blows the notes over. And we discovered we had to buy sandbags to hold the tents down because the breath of the wind was taking it away. And my prayer is that the breath of the wind of God has entered into your life and delivered you from fear, delivered you from the dominion of anything that might be holding you back. But today I want to wrap up this series by talking to you about knowing your limits, knowing your limits. And you would say perhaps to me with pastor, you have taught us always for over 20 years, you have taught us that the possibilities are unlimited with God. I believe that with all of my heart. I not only believe that, I confess that, I live by that, that the possibilities with God are unlimited. But the possibilities of me swimming across the Atlantic Ocean to France, the possibilities of me swimming across Lake Michigan, those are not going to happen. That's presumption. But what I want to talk to you about is knowing your limits so you can understand the power of God to be manifested in your life. You can understand the dominion. When I talk about dominion, I talk about specific areas of life that God has called us to have dominion in, where the enemy tries to oppose us and tries to take away the ground, tries to take away from us and oppose the very spirit of Christianity. You see, the life of a passionate follower of Christ is lived in the spirit of Christ and serves in the love of God. We live in the spirit of Christ. We, we live, we move, we breathe by the Holy Spirit, how he's filled our hearts. But we're motivated by God's love. We're motivated by God's love for one another. We're motivated by God's love for his church. But we're also motivated by God's love for lost people and for this lost world that we live in. We're motivated by a love of God's word, that we want to obey his commandments and follow him. But it's important to understand that the spirit of Christ in the life of a Christian is manifested as the spirit of the Lamb. The spirit of Christ is manifested as the spirit of the Lamb. When you go to the very last book of the Bible, the Revelation, and we look at, and I've talked to you about this many times before, when you look at the center of the universe and you see the throne of God, John wonders because he sees someone sitting there, the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. 
You see, as the Lamb of God, and as the Lamb of God, when Jesus lived upon this earth, which is what we'll be talking about on Friday night, why the cross, why Jesus did what he did, as the Lamb of God sacrificed for our sins, Jesus lived opposed to sin. He overcame sin. He exercised dominion over sin. He lived a life of purity, and he lived a life of obedience. Jesus opposed the sin of racism. He lived a life where he loved Jew and Gentile alike. And he, matter of fact, he never said to anyone that was a part of the Jewish kingdom at that time, and this wasn't reflective of a lack of love for Jews. It was just what happens when religious people get comfortable with religion rather than living by faith. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. It was to Gentiles. It was to Gentiles that Jesus said he saw great faith. Jesus lived opposed to sickness because you see, whenever Jesus touched the blind, they were healed. When Jesus touched the lame, they were healed. Jesus lived in opposition to hunger because when he met hunger, he fed the hungry. But Jesus also lived in opposition to death. And we have three recorded instances where Jesus raised someone from the dead. But that doesn't mean that they didn't die again. And that's where I want to talk about these limits. Because even Jesus, while he was on this earth, living in his earthly body, he experienced hunger. He experienced weariness. He experienced the need for rest and for sleep. His disciples are paddling away in a storm. And Jesus is physically exhausted. And he goes to sleep in the back of the boat. I was on a plane one time crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And how many of you know it doesn't do any good to worry about the pilot or worry about the plane when you're at 40-something thousand feet? It just doesn't do any good to do that. And we were in a bouncing storm, and I had gone to sleep, and somebody shook me and says, how can you sleep at a time like this? And I said, well, my staying awake is not going to help the pilot, and if this plane goes down, at least it will be quick and painless. Well, they got so angry at me. Another time I was flying across, and we were getting some, some uh, turbulence, and suddenly on this L-1011 that I was flying on, we hit a pocket. We dropped, and the guy beside me was about two sheets to the wind already, and he screams out, don't worry, there's a man of God on board today. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you something. If a tornado comes, my being here is not going to change anything. I know my limits, but my faith is not in my abilities. My faith is in the amazing power and the grace of Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. So stand with me if you would, and we want to pray. You know, we have four couples engaged from our church right now. I want you to be praying for these four couples that... In the midst of the worst crisis that we've ever had with a pandemic in my lifetime, they have hope, they have anticipation for the future, and I'm so excited for them. But would you look at, with me at the word of the Lord from Psalms 119 and verse 96. Even perfection has its limits, but your commands have no limit, or your word. Would you read that with me? Even perfection has its limits, but your command have no limit. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, direct our hearts to your heart this morning. Oh, Holy Spirit, align us with the heart of Jesus Christ on this Palm Sunday. 
And Lord, may this place always be known as a house of prayer and a house of bread, I pray. May it also be known as a hospital for healing those that are broken and wounded. And I pray that, Lord, we will recognize, but we will also celebrate one another's imperfections so that we might glorify you for the amazing work of grace that you do in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Cherise Lightman is a neuropsychologist from Stanford University. She has wrote a wonderful article about understanding the brain. I just finished a wonderful book written for laymen about the brain and how it works. And frankly, I have to say to you, even after finishing the book, I was more mystified than I was when, before I began to read the book. I miss the days. Do you remember your old world book encyclopedias where you could lay over the little plastic sheets and uncover it? So much has changed since the 60s when I was in school studying the world book encyclopedia. So much has changed since the 70s when I was in college. And as I read this book, I found myself over and over just giving God glory. But the more I've looked into it, I just kind of figured out I'm never going to understand the brain. Now, I have a family member that that's their whole specialty is working with the brain and working with people with brain damage and brain problems. And they're very educated in this area. So it's been fun to talk with her about what I've been reading. But this doctor from Stanford, Clarice Lickman, she said... If you want to try to understand the brain, it would be like trying to understand New York City. She said, you can't because it's not that it's impossible to understand New York City. You can get access to the data, but what do you do with all the data to New York City when you get it on, when you get it? She says the human brain is like that. It's millions of things happening simultaneously among different types of cells, neuromodulators, genetic components, things from the outset, outside. There's just no point in saying, I understand the brain. There's just no point in saying, I understand the Spirit of God. There's just no point in understanding why some are born with limits and some seem to be born with greater capabilities. I violated one of those limits just recently. I'm not supposed to lift more than 25 pounds after all those surgeries I had, but I got impatient. Couldn't wait on somebody, and I split open one of those incisions that was made in 2008, and it's still not healed. So the doctors are constantly checking on me about it. This happened before Thanksgiving. And my impatience, and sometimes we get impatience with our limitations. That's not stopped me from doing what I need to do. It's just made my life a little bit more complicated and a little bit more painful. And so just this last week, my doctor wanted to see me again and check it. And he said, I bet you haven't done that again. And I looked at him, and I called him by name, and I said, you know, that was not nice. And I just want you to know, as a Christian, I rebuked that. And he just started laughing. And he says, oh, no. He says, I want to keep you in line. And I thought, what an impossible job you've got on your hands. Have you ever tried to keep somebody in line? Have you ever tried to keep a teenager in line? Have you ever tried to keep a child in line? Sometimes you just want to throw your hands up in despair, but you can't because you love your child, you love your teenager. So what I've learned in my life is learn to accept my limits and rely upon God. Learn to accept my limits. And you ought to circle that word in your outline today, learn. 
It's difficult to learn to accept your limits. You know, the problem is there are always other people trying to put limitations on you and not believe that you can accomplish what you could accomplish. So you need to learn your limits emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, socially. You need to learn your limits and then learn to rely upon God for the possibilities that are unlimited and not allow people to put limitations upon you. If there's something I hate to hear anybody say is that it can't be done because in my heart, it's not out of a spirit of defiance. It's not out of a spirit of rebellion, but I hear the word of the Lord and his commands are perfect. You know, there is a limit to perfections, but not to the word of God. And I hear Jesus saying, all things are possible with God and all things are possible to those that believe. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? this morning. So I learn my limits and I learn to rely upon God. One of the men in our church took Becky and I sailing on his beautiful boat and we went out sailing. And the whole reason that he's able to sail is he understands how far down in the water his boat goes, how far the keel goes. And there were bigger boats than his out there and there were smaller boats than his. But he learned how to accept the limits of his boat and how to cooperate with the wind, with the breath of, the, of nature. And if you and I learn how to cooperate with God and with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can fill our sails and help us not only embark upon our journey, help us to accomplish the means of our journey and return back to port. I'm sure you've all read the story and followed the news this morning of the, of the big ship that is wedged in the Suez Canal and all of the ships on both ends of the Suez that can't get through. When I was reading on that story when it happened earlier in the week, what happened was there was a wind that blew the ship because it's so big. It blew the ship and it wedged its bow, if I remember correctly, it wedged its bow into the sands and upon the shore. Now, I don't know if it was the captain's error. I don't know if the boat was just simply too big for the Suez Canal because it's the largest floating boat of its kind in the world. But what I do know is that a sailor only experiences the freedom of sailing when he or she limits their boat to not only the capabilities of the boat, but to the depth of the water, to the power of the wind, and to their skill sets. So that's what I mean when I say learn to rely upon your limits. Learn to know your limits, but learn to rely upon God. Look at Psalms 138 and verse 6. Though the Lord is supreme, he takes care of those who are humble, but he stays away from the proud. You know, Pride is what caused me to pick up something I shouldn't have picked up. Pride reminds me every morning when I redress that thing. It reminds me every morning. Friends, listen to me. The humble man or woman that will humble themselves before God, they can expect miracles. They can expect signs and wonders. They can expect the power of God to be manifested in their life. But the person who is so cocky and doesn't understand their limits, they will find not only will the world be opposed to them, 
but even God will be opposed to them. And I don't want to live 10 to 15 seconds of my life like that. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Read that with me. We expected to die. Wow, that's coming from the apostle Paul. Paul expected the end to come. He knew his limits, but Paul had humbled himself. And you don't need to raise your hand, but I am sure that in this room there are some of you that have been there. You've been so overwhelmed by grief. You've been so overwhelmed by betrayal or abandonment. You've been so overwhelmed by sickness or disease that perhaps you expected to die. Maybe the bill collectors were calling. Maybe there was something going on in your marriage and you just wanted to die. You thought for sure you would die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raised the dead, the God who raised Jarius's daughter, the God who raised the Syrophoenician woman's son, the God who raised Lazarus. It's the same God that dwells in our heart by faith, the same God that raised Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. Church, accept your limits, but rely upon the power of Jesus Christ this morning. Hallelujah. You see, when you honor the limits of your physicality, you will enjoy good health. When you honor the limits of your physicality, you will enjoy good health. Unless you honor the limits of your physicality, you'll never understand what it means to have good health. Look at this verse. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the Sabbath day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested, and that's why he blessed the Sabbath. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Understand this. And I want you to hear me carefully on this. You were not designed to work 24-7. You may have a job where you're on call 24-7, but you're not designed to work 24-7. And study after study has shown that people who take time to gather and worship with their local church one day a week and it's not just for Christians, people who take time to gather in their synagogues on Sabbath day when they gather in worship. They found to be healthier. They found to live longer lives. They found to have healthier marriages. There's something about the way God has designed us. Even lost people can experience the benefit of this if they don't go to church. But there is an element of difference that researchers have found and people who gather to worship God because in the process of giving thanks and the process of worship and the process of encouraging one another. It seems they're healthier. It seems their choices are better in life. It seems their families are healthier. There's something pure and holy and physically good for us, emotionally good for us, and spiritually good for us together like we've done this morning. Can you say amen? 
It's how God created us. And so I encourage those of you who are still staying at home, maybe you're still red light, and maybe what I said, because I want you to pray for those who have COVID. But friends, it's time to come back to the house of God. We gather safely. We sanitize everything between the services, and we socially distance. And I'm so proud of this church. The governor of Michigan asked me several months ago to join her for a press conference. And my task was to explain why it was important for us to gather, why there were churches that were willing to suffer the consequences of gathering to worship. She was very kind and allowed me to come, and I was not edited. I was not anything hindered from saying what I needed to say. What has amazed me because of that opportunity, the governor and I who disagree on many things, what has amazed me is how much email that I have received from around this country and different churches that have requested the text of what I wrote to share that day. You see, there's something about gathering to worship God. Listen, there's something to get about gathering together to worship God that will cause you to gain favor even when other people want to criticize and chastise you for it. I don't need to explain why we gather, but I am more than capable, and you are more than capable of explaining why it's important for us to gather to worship the Lord on the Sabbath day. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? The second thing I'd like you to see is honor the limits of relationship and enjoy peace and love. Honor the limits of relationship. Unless you honor the limits of relationship, you'll never know what it means to have relational peace and social peace. You'll never know what it means to have the love that you want to share in your small group or you want to share in your marriage or with your children. How many of you have ever lived beside, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever lived beside an annoying neighbor? Mm-hmm. I wish you could see the congregation right now. Let me ask it another way. How many of you have ever been the annoying neighbor? You know, those late night graduation parties, those late night pool parties, those times when Becky and I were youth pastors, we would have 60 and 70 teenagers in our backyard, and then we would spend the next two weeks delivering cakes and pies and cookies and apologizing to our neighbors. The time when we had to apologize when we built a new house and the kids, they TP'd the wrong house thinking it was our house. You see... All of us can be annoyances or we can live next to people that are annoying. The vast majority of couples that even drift apart, it's because they've not learned how, they've not learned how to honor the limitations. Becky and I have limitations of our freedom with one another. I mean, I have to respect the way God has created and wired her. She has to respect the way God has created and wired me. I can't force Becky to be the perfect wife. Now, I think she's perfect. Don't get me wrong. She's perfect for me. I'm sure you feel like your wife is perfect for you. 
But I can't expect her to be this model. When I was in Bible college, or we called it bridal college sometimes, when I was in Bible college, a lot of times in the dorm rooms at night, we talk about what the perfect wife was, what her figure would be. Yeah, we did. We talked about that. We talked about whether she could play the piano and sing. Most importantly on my list was, could she fry chicken? Well, when I started dating Becky and we got engaged and I found out she couldn't fry chicken, I took her to my granny's house because my granny taught my wife how to fry some mighty fine fried chicken. You see, we have to learn to honor that. I'm reading a book right now, and I'm not finished with it, but I feel comfortable in recommending it. I've already recommended it to one couple in our church, but it's how we justify ourselves. We don't want to admit that maybe we're wrong when we don't respect the other person in the relationship. This is on the screen, so follow along with me. The vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly over time in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Now, get, get that. You know when you roll a snowball for a snowman or something, you start small and it takes a little time, but as it gets bigger, it collects more and more snow. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. Honey, I wish that I had read this when I was 25 years old. Don't you wish that I had read this when I was 25 years old? Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his own or her preferences, attitudes, and way of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality difference, and even angry quarrels are not the assassins of love. Self-justification is. The assassins of love is self-justification. Well, I wouldn't have done that but. I wouldn't have said that but. You see, sometimes we just need to obey the Scripture. God's Word is perfect. Amen? We just said that. <clears throat> Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. The most important person I can confess to is Becky. But you also need to know that you can trust the people that you are confessing to. Because some people, we couldn't build an altar long enough to hold their gossiping tongues. You, Some people you confess to, they've got to go out and tell the whole world, but they always couch it spiritually. You know, we really need to pray for so-and-so. You're not interested in prayer. You just want to share somebody else's weaknesses. You see, Judge Scalia, the book I just finished reading about Judge Scalia and his speeches and things that he made, his son is a Roman Catholic priest. Judge Scalia was a Roman Catholic priest. And one day he found himself in church going to make confession as Catholics do to their priest. He found himself in confession, and when he got to the booth, guess who the priest was? It was his son. And Judge Scalia said, like, heck, I'm confessing to you. And he got out of line and went and found himself another priest. 
You know, the wisdom of that was know whom you're confessing to, that you can trust them. Because when we confess our sins to one another and we say, I'm sorry, and we repent and turn from our justification, and the person that we've offended prays for us, God says, that is a powerful prayer that avails much in heaven and earth. Let's give him one more hand of praise this morning. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm just enjoying this message all over again. Well, I'm going to skip down to the third point for those of you. Would you give our tech? We've got a lot of people back. There's a lot of people. Pastor Mark has put together a wonderful team. They're running media and sound and lights. Would you give them a hand? They can hear you, but let's thank them for what they're doing. The third thing I want you to see is if you ignore these limits, you will wither and you will die. If you ignore these limits, you will wither and you will die. There's a limit to your energy, but there's no limit to the power of God. There's limits to your thought, but there's no limits to how the Word of God can make you wiser. And I could go on and on with that. There are limits in relationships, but if you are guilty of the sin of self-justification and you always walk away feeling like, I really answered that question, I really answered that argument, and you justify yourself, your marriage will die, your company will die, your business will die. There's limits in our lives. And so if your marriage is suffering, Learn how to be humble before God and before your spouse. If your parental relationship is suffering, have you ever said to your children, I'm sorry, I was wrong? Because we've all made mistakes, and I love what Dr. Dobson said. Dr. James Dobson said, children and teenagers are remarkable, and they will recover as long as parents can admit when they're wrong. But when we're not willing to admit that we're wrong, and friends, I tell you, through the years I've managed to stay close to teenagers, and I hear it all the time, and I tell them the same thing. Humble yourself. Submit yourself. Your parents are human just like I'm human. Humble yourself. Submit yourself. And learn from this because one day, God willing, you're going to be a mother or you're going to be a father. So the Bible says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And let me close with this this morning, and then I want to walk you through the growth work real clearly. Have faith in God, not your limitations. Have faith in God. And I think this is where the Holy Spirit wanted me to drill down. Yes, I have limitations. Yes, there are limits to my life. There are limits to my mind. There are limits to, to everything about me. There's limits to our church. There are limits to you. But my faith is in God who makes all things possible. And it seems to me that when God puts something on my heart really big and I go, Lord, I'm not capable, it seems like every time I hear the Holy Spirit saying, all things are possible to him who believes. So don't be afraid of the big dream. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be afraid of the COVID virus. Don't be afraid of the economy. And definitely don't be afraid of the politicians. Your faith 
is in God this morning. Have faith in God, not your limitations, because if not, you will make an idol out of your limitations. I saw it demonstrated in the life of another governor this week, whom I believe is very sincere in her beliefs, but she backed down from something very important because she said, we can't afford the lawsuits. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen the enemy gain the victory in the public sphere because communities and believers have been afraid of the minority who wanted to somehow or another uh, outlaw expressions of faith and expressions of Christianity, expressions of testimony and witness by threatening a lawsuit. Brothers and sisters, hear me. In the Bible, those were called powers. And in the Bible, they were called Caesar or Mammon. Mammon was money. They were called uh, Molech for death. They were called idols of lust. Hear me this morning. We cannot allow the powers of hell to limit our faith. Our faith is in God, and God will cast down the idols, and God will pull down the strongholds. We are free to express our faith, whether we live in a tyrannical empire like Rome or a wonderful nation like the United States of America. Let's give him a hand of praise this morning. The sissiness, the silliness, the cowardness of people who live in this country, afraid of lawsuits, when the early Christians were willing to be thrown to the lions, would actually pray while the beasts consumed them and sing their praises, sing God's praises in the Roman Empire. And yet Paul still said, pray for those murderous dictators. Pray for them that we might live in peace. Andrew Murray said, beware in your prayer above everything of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. All things are possible to God. It is yet to be seen what God can do with a people that will trust him and pray, said D.L. Moody. Look at this passage of Scripture. So test yourselves. Make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. Read that with me. Give yourselves regular checkups. One more time. Give yourselves regular checkups. When's the last time you did a faith checkup on your life? You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. You see, passionate followers of Christ, they reassure one another. Passionate followers of Christ come along, they encourage each other, they reassure one another. And I want to reassure you this morning, God loves you. And if you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. I want to reassure you that maybe watching online this morning, maybe you haven't crossed the line and given your heart to Jesus, or maybe you have questions about this whole thing called Christianity. I want you to know Jesus Christ loves you, and the whole reason that churches around the world will be gathering on Good Friday to worship a Lord who was crucified at Calvary, to worship Jesus Christ who was raised again on the third day that we call Easter. The whole reason we gather is because God God loves people like you and me that were lost in our sins. We reassure one another of that, but we test our faith regularly. And sometimes when we test our faith, we find out maybe we're failing. Maybe we're not praying for the lost. Maybe 
we've become comfortable in living lukewarm Christian lives. Maybe somehow or another we've become comfortable with things that one time we were not comfortable with in our lives, and we're doing things that we know are sin. If we fail the test, then reorient your life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would go on to say, I've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Evaluate, encourage, reorient, test ourselves. Now, here's what I believe three things the Lord is saying to you this morning. If you're watching online, I believe God is saying this to you. Get up. Not literally get up right now from your seat, but get up. God's calling you this morning. Get up to pray. Get up to share the love of Jesus. Get up to say, I'm sorry to those that you may have wounded and ask their forgiveness. Get up and stop leaning into your limitations and lean on the power of God if God has put something on your heart. And be a passionate follower of Christ this morning. Don't be just that person that somehow or another coming to church, tithing that you've done your bit. Passionate follower of Jesus tries to bring influence, whether it's in law or economics or science, whether it's in, in church or whether it's in education. We try to bring our influence for Christ to bear. And then finally, and I really wish I had more time, your limitations are not liabilities. They're gateways. They're gateways to victory. And if I've learned anything in my life, what I used to be so ashamed of, what I did so well to cover, I never needed to be ashamed of because my limitations have been God's opportunity to demonstrate His power in my life. The Apostle Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And you know what? I'm not going to go through and list all the areas where we could be weak, but I have a feeling the Holy Spirit is targeting that in your life right now and saying, if you'll let me, I'll be big. The Apostle Paul wrote an interesting little letter. It's called Philemon. <clears throat> was a runaway slave. His name was, <coughs> pardon me, Onesimus. Onesimus means useful. Onesimus evidently robbed Philemon. Now, slavery was not like slavery was in the United States of America in the 19th century. But evidently, Philemon had been a trusted servant Excuse me, Onesimus had been a trusted servant. And while Philemon was gone, Onesimus must have robbed him blind. And somehow he made his way 1,600 miles to Rome. Now listen, if you're online, listen. 
And providentially, this runaway slave, where nobody would have known him in Rome, living the high life, providentially, he ran into a passionate follower of Christ named Paul. And Paul and Onesimus became friends. Paul befriended him, and eventually Onesimus trusted Paul enough that he confessed his fault. He told him what he had done. And somehow or another, they agreed that Onesimus needed to return to Philemon and confess his fault to Philemon. And Paul wrote Philemon, and he says to Philemon, he says, Onesimus has become very useful to me. I'm asking you to forgive his debts and restore him as a brother. I'm asking you to be merciful to him, forgive him, because he's become very useful to me. And uh, by the way, Philemon, listen, I've been useful to you. Evidently, Philemon did that. Because I remember reading in the early church fathers how Ignatius, in the first century after Christ, he wrote about someone that historians agree was Philemon. And he said, your bishop, excuse me, was Onesimus. He says, your bishop Onesimus is a good bishop. He loves God, and he loves you. Follow him. Philemon forgave because Onesimus confessed. But above all, I believe, because Paul prayed and interceded. I'm telling you, nothing is impossible with God. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? What a story. Well, Lord, right now, we confess our limitations to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has brought some sin to your mind that as a Christian you need to confess. Just tell him. And Lord, give us the strength to admit our faults, not justify ourselves, but admit our faults to one another. If the Lord brings someone to your mind that you've hurt or harmed, maybe you've spoken ill about, go to them and apologize. Ask their forgiveness because their prayer for you will be like the prayer of Job. It will affect your life powerfully. Father, some of us, we've been ashamed of our limitations. Maybe they're financial limitations, physical limitations. Maybe we don't feel as smart as the other person. God, would you help us to rely upon you and to know that you've created and shaped us for a purpose we don't have to be like someone else. We need to be who you created us to be. 
while every head is bowed, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, I implore you this morning to understand how much God loves you. Providentially, you're listening to this message today. Providentially, you're in this room today. God has brought you here like he brought Onesimus to Paul and Paul to Onesimus that you might find freedom in Christ. Your life is useful, it's valuable, and God loves you. And you can do that just by right now committing your life to Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life, your purity, your obedience, your love, You are the lamb that gave yourself as the sacrifice for my sins. Help me to live in the spirit of Christ and with the love of God. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, 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 amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Well, blessed are the people that the Lord has caused to come and dwell in his presence today. May you go forth with the love of Christ smiling upon you, and may he bless you and make you prosperous and productive in every single thing you do. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. If you would like special prayer, you can see either Pastor Rick on this side or me on this side, but please wear a mask this morning. God bless you.